Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Okay, total honesty, this is not my favorite kind of sermon. Tell you why. For those of you who watch me speak each week, you know what I love to do is point to a problem or a situation in our lives that troubles us and say, here's what you can do about it. Let's go out and put it into practice. Today's talk is going to be more just information, just kind of dry information. So I'll tell you right up front, that's what it is. Let me see if we can make a deal, though. What if... This dry information, even though we're not going to know what to go out and do about it, we'll talk about that next week. But what if this dry information could answer perhaps the biggest puzzle that you have about yourself? Would it be worth the time? Well, that's what we're going to do today. And there's a whole lot of scripture here because really when it gets down to knowing the truth, there are only two ways that we can approach the truth or the pursuit of the truth. We can either try to figure things out on our own or we can have truth revealed to us. There are so many things in life that you'll never be able to figure out. The only way to know is to have our creator reveal it to us. And so today, I want to take some time to show you what the Bible reveals about, like I say, probably the biggest question that you and I have about ourselves. Our series is called My Secret Life, and we're talking about the secret life. And we said last week, all of us have a part of us that's dark. And we don't put it out there for public uh, disclosure. It's not necessarily because we're hypocrites. It's just that we sometimes are puzzled why we have dark thoughts or why we say things that are out of character for us. And so I don't think we're necessarily bad people in not putting that out there for public consumption. So we all have that dark side. But the, the very fact that there's a side of us that's dark that we, we, we don't want, it raises a question. And I think we would be wise today to just take a few moments And, you know, just shut off all the voices that come to us from our culture that kind of numb us to dealing with these larger existential issues of life. And let's ask a question. And that question is, why do I feel like two different people sometimes? I think if you're an honest person and you're a person of good heart and goodwill, that question is going to come to you. Why do I feel like two different people sometimes? I mean... Who among us hasn't been with the person you love the most, and yet you wound up saying one of the most hateful things you've ever said to the person you love the most? And what is it that we say when we calm down from a moment like that? We say things like this, I can't believe I said that. Slow down for a moment. Unpack that statement. Consider the ramifications of that statement. I can't believe I said that. That's an interesting statement on its face, isn't it? I can't believe I said that. Now, if I say, I can't believe you said that, <laughs> that's something else. But that very, that very statement goes to a very deep place. I can't believe I said that. Well, let's say that it goes a little bit further than that, and we wind up doing something or saying something that we get called to account for. Someone is holding us accountable for what we did, and they're saying, hey, you did a bad thing, and inferred in that is you might be a bad person. 
because you did a bad thing. What is our response to that? That's not who I am. And you know what? You're right. Isn't it true that if you had a polygraph machine hooked up to you at that moment, when you're being called to account for doing something or saying something that's wrong, when you say, that's not who I am, you pass the polygraph test. Well, let's, let's, let's make this a little more comfortable. Let's get this away from you and me. And let's say you got a friend who's done or said something bad. And there's a third party, a mutual friend perhaps, who is talking to you about what your friend did. And that third party is saying, you know what? Your friend is a bad person because of what he or she did. What is it that we say at that moment? We say, that's not the person I know. And in all those statements, I can't believe I said that. That's not who I am. That's not the person I know. In all those cases, those are true statements. And I don't need to tell you this. You may know more about it than I do, but we live in the age of the cancel culture. And in the age of the cancel culture, it's almost as if anyone who does anything or says anything bad, it's like we have to just cut that person out. We have to just destroy that person. We have to make them a non-entity because now they're a bad thing. And the cancel culture says that person is a fraud. <laughs> and yet, if we're learning anything with the cancel culture, it's just a matter of time before the cancelers have their own scandal. A few years ago, there was a, a leader in the Christian community that was found to have had a dark side and did a lot of things. And there was a couple, who, another set of Christian leaders, a husband and wife, who ripped this leader. And, and he did wrong, but it was kind of like they were saying, this guy was a fraud. But now that couple now has their own scandal, and they've been canceled. I think if we were honest with ourselves, we would say that, and by the way, you know, one of the statements of our generation is, I don't judge. I think we are in perhaps the most judgmental culture in the history of the world. I don't mean us personally, but in America, America is one of the wickedest cultures of all time, and yet it's the most judgmental. And yeah, it's only a matter of time before the cancelers have their own scandal. I really believe that honest, well-adjusted people, we would say sometimes we feel like two different people. I mean, that could be the case for us here at New Spring. I mean, how many times are you in a worship service like we just were in and we sing a song like, I am who you say I am, and you just stand there and it's like the grace of God just washes over you and you just feel so close to Jesus. It's like you could reach out and touch him. You felt that when you were singing that, didn't you? And it was like, well, I'm so glad I'm here. And it's like all the problems and the pain of the week just melt away and you're in the presence of God. And it's like, wow, this I've got this Christian thing down and then you get in your car and you're out on K96 and somebody cuts you off in traffic and it's like, did I say that? Or you wave at them and don't use all your fingers. For all of us who, I don't understand myself, let me, let's start this talk with a sentence that comes directly from the Bible. I'm going to give you a sentence word for word that comes out of the Bible. And this is something that someone in the Bible said. Here we go. I don't understand myself at all. Well, who said that? Was it Judas? 
I mean, if, if Judas said, I don't understand myself at all, like, well, yeah, I don't understand you either. I mean, three years with Jesus and you went out and sold him? I don't understand you either. But it wasn't Judas who said that. How about Pilate, Pontius Pilate? If Pontius Pilate said, I don't understand myself at all, we're like, dude, we don't understand you either. I mean, the man was innocent. But as some of you said to me back as I asked the question, it wasn't Judas and it wasn't Pontius Pilate. It was perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived. It was Paul. I mean, we're talking about the guy who took three and a half missionary journeys, took the gospel to the whole world, started churches all over the world. We're talking about a guy, you know, 27 books in the New Testament. He wrote 13 of them. I think he wrote Hebrews. That would make 14. We're looking at perhaps the greatest Christian who ever lived who said, I don't understand myself at all. And he wasn't young when he said that. Hey, I opened up that can of worms. Let's just read the rest of the verse. I don't understand myself at all for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. We're talking about the greatest Christian who ever lived who said, I don't understand myself at all. I want to do what's right. I think Paul could say, I can't believe I said that. I think Paul could say about his life, even as a Christ follower and a church leader, that's not me. Did that mean he was a fraud? In our culture today, that's the story that goes out. I mean, if if someone fails, if someone is proven to have a dark side, well, in our culture today, we say that person was always a fraud. I had a great friend who pastored a great church. I I was still in my 30s when I met him. I was speaking at a national conference in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mary Alice and I were walking into the convention center there. and I still can hear his voice. I can even see this in my my head, even though it was a long time ago. There was a young pastor who was sitting there with his staff, and he just called out to me from the bleachers of the conference center. He said, would you ever come to Canada and preach? And I said, well, shoot me some dates. And I spoke in Toronto many times for him, and I think, before we moved out here a long time ago, he actually spoke for us. He was the life of the party. He was full of jokes, full of fun. He was one of the most fun people I was ever around in my life. A few years ago, I'm sitting on my deck, and I get a call from a mutual friend. And my mutual friend said, hey, they just found his body. And a day later, another mutual friend called me and said he died by his own hand. Well, he was one of the happiest people I ever knew in my life. So was he a fraud? Was he a fraud because he took his life? Or did he lose a battle? Well, that one's a little easier. Let's go to one. And I, I, I hate to call names, but this is a well-known story. Uh, let me just tell you that I don't watch too many preachers. Most of the preachers I, I, I read are dead. I mean, I, you know, I, I, and that's for another reason. But uh, just a lot of the guys that are on television today, I, I don't watch... But there was one guy, I, I recorded his messages. His name was Ravi Zacharias. And Ravi is one of the most gifted apologists of our time. I never saw anybody who could answer the tough questions about the Bible and Christianity like Ravi could. And he had, a, he had an engaging way about him, whether he was at Harvard or UCLA or Dartmouth or Princeton or wherever. It was just like he had a great way of explaining things. And I loved to listen to him talk. And if there was one guy I would have thought had everything together spiritually, it would have been Ravi. And yet the most awful things came out about him this year. Is he a fraud? Well, that's what's being said. Was he a complete hypocrite? Maybe. I think that's the reason why God tells us to leave the judging to him. 
because the rest of us are all flawed, broken sinners. And I'm not making light of anything anyone does. I mean, I just think at some point we have to ask ourselves a question. The people who have a dark side and we find out about it, were they just complete hypocrites and frauds or did they lose the battle big? Today, as I said at the beginning of this talk, this isn't a very entertaining sermon and, and this is kind of dry. But I ask you to make a deal with me. And I said, here's the thing. If you'll just stay with me through some of this dry information, it might just explain the biggest question that you have in your life about yourself. Here's the weird thing. For the next few moments, I'm going to give you four dots and we're going to connect them. And the, the interesting thing is, I think you have all these dots. In other words, I'm not going to tell you anything new, I don't think. But most people don't connect these dots. And because they don't connect the dots, they don't get a picture of what's really going on. So when we walk out in about 20 minutes, I think we're going to at least have an understanding, well, to maybe an answer to the question, why do I feel like two different people sometimes? So here's, here's dot number one. All of us are born with a warped nature. Now, I'm going to give you some scriptures, and I just, I'm just going to ask you to follow this progression with me. Here's the first one. Here's the baseline. Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Now, time out. Most of us grew up with Western Christianity or at least Western religion. And for us, when we hear the word sin, we instantly think of acts of sin, things that people do wrong. And that's how we define sin. You know, is this a sin? Is that a sin? Okay, here's the thing. Here's what we have to understand. When people commit acts of sin, those are symptoms. Sin is a disease. A lot of times people have the idea that a person is a sinner because he commits sins. That's not the truth. We're not sinners because we commit sins. We commit sins because we're a sinner. It's like saying, you know, uh, fever doesn't give you the flu. The flu gives you fever. Sin is not just acts of sin. It is a force within us that is bent against God. So the Bible says when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone because everyone sinned. Now, we talk, we, you know, during the COVID era, we learned about super spreader events. That's probably the quintessential super spreader event because when Adam sinned, we were all genetically inside of him and Eve, and consequently we were born with sin. This, well, here's, let's look at the next verse. Paul said there is another power. In the word, and he's talking about the sin nature. Uh, force would be a synonym there, maybe even a better one. So let's just read it that way. There is another force within me that is at war with my mind. Now, here's the thing that some of you have been struggling with because there's stuff in your mind and you're like, is that me? I can't believe I'm thinking that. Well, slow down for a moment and look at the context of this scripture. Paul said, there is another force within me that is at war with my mind. So consequently, that's why sometimes we have thoughts in our mind that we don't want because there's this force inside of us that we inherited at birth that's bent toward wrong. And then look at this. He said, this force makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. Well, Let's just say we should ask the question, how bad is that force inside of us? 
Romans 7, 18, Paul said, I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. He didn't say I'm rotten through and through. He just said that part of me, that dark side is rotten through and through. And he said, no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. Can I get a witness on that? Okay, we're building this out. Let's build it to another place. That dark side of us is our default nature because we inherited it at birth. There is a moral gravity that pulls us down to that default nature. Let me prove this. All of you young parents out there and a lot of you at New Spring, you got a three-year-old. Do you have to teach him to lie? Let's just say you set him down and you say, sweetheart, let me just tell you, you're going to get in trouble sometimes. Make up a story. You can't believe how much trouble that will get you out of. Just make something up. <laughs> let's just take, let's say you got a two-year-old and, and you say, baby, now here's how the world works. Now, you're going, there are going to be times when you're not going to get what you want. So you just lay in the floor and kick and scream and throw a tantrum and people will watch you and listen to you. You have to do that? No, no, no. Now, we're laughing about three-year-old and four-year-old, but there's stuff in your life and my life that we default to, that nobody had to teach us because it's just there. It, it, it's, not like, it's not like you remember when it came, you were born with it. It was there before the meter of your memory started running. We all have it. That leads us to the second dot. There's a battle going on inside of every one of us. It could be that you're here today and you say, Mark, I'm not a Christ follower. I don't even, I'm not even a God believer. My my girlfriend is, and she wants me to go to church. First of all, thank you for coming today. I hope we don't let you down. I hope we add value to your life. And just between you and me, you're who gets me up in the morning. <laughs> so thank you, please, for being here. But let's just say you're here today and you say, Mark, I don't believe in God. You still have a battle going on inside of you. Now, it's with something called conscience. Do you believe in, do you believe in a conscience? I'm guessing all, all people do. We use it all the time. We use the word, you know, have a good conscience. I have a clean conscience. Uh, you know, uh, let your conscience be your guide. Uh, my, yeah, my conscience gave me pain over this. I mean, we use the term. Let me ask you a question. If you had a three by five card or an electronic device and you had to write out the definition of conscience, could you do it? How would you define conscience? I mean, not, not just in, in, in glib terms. I'm talking about real Real, real definition kind of stuff. How would you define your conscience? What is conscience? <laughs> I have a lot of fun watching evolutionary psychology flail around trying to explain this. Because if Darwin was right, there's no such, there's one thing, there's no such thing as good or evil. Because if we're all just, accidents, random rolls of the cosmic dice. I mean, if we're all just accidents, there, by definition, is no such thing as good or evil. There can't be. Well, if there's no such thing as good or evil, why do you have this inherent aspect of your personhood that pushes back against your urges and says to you that what you're doing or have done is wrong? If Darwin is right, there would be no overriding impulse to push us against what our lower nature wants to do because our lower nature would automatically be correct. 
Nah, no, I, I know how they flail and dance around, try to explain this. They'll say, oh, you, we've been influenced by cultural norms and we learn over time that we have to embrace a kind of altruism for community survival. I hear all that junk, but it doesn't make any sense because it doesn't fit Darwin's premise. Why do we have that internal check? Well, we do. Now, it could be that someone is hearing that and they say, well, if I have a conscience, why do I need God? A few years ago, there were a group of non-theists who, who raised some money and they rented the signs on the sides of buses in New York City that said, you can be good without God. Let me tell you what I believe conscience is from what I can piece together from scripture and from, from logic and, and just life. You and I were born... You, excuse me, you and I were created, if you go back to Adam and Eve, we were created good. But as we saw when Adam sinned, he lost that. I believe it is that echo of what we once were. I think that conscience is telling us that there was a time when we were different. And this is a horrible illustration. I'm going to apologize in advance, but it's the best illustration I can come up with. I have friends who had a limb amputated. And they will tell me that they could still feel the sensation of fingers that were no longer there. Or they could still feel the sensation of a foot that was no longer there. Well, that may not be the perfect illustration, but I think that conscience is like that. It is still that impulse that tells us that once we were created and we were different than we are today. But is the conscience enough? I mean, somebody could say, well, I have a conscience, and so consequently, you're right, Mark, there's a little battle going on. I'm not exactly sure what conscience is, so I don't really know that I need God. I'm, t- I'm too young to remember this, which at my age, I'm, t- I'm glad that I'm too young for anything. <laughs> but there was a Disney movie out before I was born. There was Jiminy Cricket singing, let your conscience be your guide. But if you're taking your life's advice from a cricket, it's probably not the smartest thing you could do. <laughs> What's the problem with conscience? You can go into manual settings and you can change it. I mean, with stuff like, well, everybody else does it. Well, that's, con- that's going into settings and messing with your conscience. Well, well, my wife did this to me, so I can do this to her. It's that kind of thing. And beyond that, conscience is always underpowered. I mean, because conscience is no, it's no, ma- conscience is no match for that dark side that's in us. The Bible talks about people who so mess with their conscience. First Timothy 4, 2, they can't see what's right and what's wrong. It's like their conscience has been destroyed. Dot number three, Christ followers have a much bigger battle. Now, please, could I just plead with you? This is going to get dry, but stay with me because this is so important. We, we need to follow this biblical construct. Okay. Second Corinthians five seventeen. anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So here we are. We were born with that old nature we got from Adam. We get kicked around by it. All we have to combat it is the conscience. It's way underpowered. We can mess with the settings. But there was a moment when we realized that God loved us and that Jesus came into our world and he died to save us. And we invited Jesus Christ to come in. And what happens is we become a new person. The only problem is the old nature does not go away. It stays there. Wouldn't it be great if you could just accept Jesus Christ and all of a sudden, boom, you don't have the old nature to deal with anymore and just like, wow, I'm just enjoying life and I'm, I never do anything wrong. It'd be great. 
That day will come. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the only problem is now we got this head button thing going on because we still have that old Adamic nature that's got a dark side and we have the spirit of God living inside of us. We're a new person, but unfortunately the old nature is still there. Here's, Jesus put it this way. Because, time out for a moment. When the Bible, and we'll, talk, we'll see this next week, the Bible talks about the old nature and calls it the flesh and the new nature is the spirit. Okay, so this is a battle between flesh and spirit. Listen to Jesus' language. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Well, that's what happened when your parents got together. And your mother contributed her, you know, she contributed her chemistry and your dad contributed his chemistry and the zygote, you know, you had the zygote and that, that's you. Flesh gives birth to flesh. But look at what Jesus said. He said, but the spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives birth to spirit. Jesus said, that's why I'm saying, don't be surprised, you must be born again. Okay, stay with me, please. What happened when you accepted Christ? This is really important. For this moment, we need to go all the way back in time to Adam and Eve. When God told Adam and Eve not to sin, he said something to them, and I'm betting the first time you read through the Bible, it caused you to scratch your head and say, I don't know if I understand that. Because God said to Adam, the day you eat, the very day you eat of the fruit, you're going to die. Adam did. You go into chapter four, Adam's still here. Wait a minute. God told him he was going to die if he sinned, and yet the next day he didn't die. Well, the problem with that is we misunderstand the concept of death. The word death means separation. It's not the cessation of existence. Scripture teaches us something throughout that it's a challenge for us to understand. And it comes down to this. You and I were created in God's image. So when God created us, God was and is Trinity. He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is three in one. Now, please don't, Asked me to explain that to you. It's just because here's the thing: a lot of people are like, well, how could God be three in one? And the problem is, we try to conceptualize God based on us forgetting that we are created in His image, not Him created in our image. But by revelation, we receive that He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He is three in one. When God made you, or at least when God created Adam and Eve, He made human beings a trinity: three in one, body, soul. In spirit. <laughs> okay, let's, let's do our best to try to define those because it's a little bit complicated, but let's do our best. To, okay, body, that's no problem. You, you know, that's what we see. We see each other's body today. We understand what it's like to be physical material. Body, that's what we know. Okay, we know that already. What is the soul? This is an inadequate description, but I would say probably the best, the best single term for soul is the mind. It is that part of you that is your thinking. It is your personality. Uh, when we move from Hebrew to Greek in the New Testament, the Greek word for soul is psyche. We got our word psyche from it. It is your mind. What is the spirit then? If the body is the physical part of us, the material part of us, and the soul is the mind, what is the spirit? When we unpack the scriptures, we learn that the spirit, that, that part that was originally created in Adam and Eve, that spirit is our, 
It's our ability to communicate with God and God's ability to communicate with us. It is that part of us, we, we use the term spiritual, use it too much. But when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't die physically, they didn't die soulishly or psychologically, they died spiritually. They lost that apparatus for communication with God. That part of them died. As I say, I think our consciences, forgive the term, the ghost of what was once there. So a person who is without Jesus Christ, no wonder they're underpowered because there's a part of them that's not alive. I mean, this is why in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, He made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. And when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that part of you came alive. And it's why when you hear the word of God, it resonates. It is why when you worship, that part of you is alive. And, and here's the thing. For many of us who are Christ followers, there's so many things that are just so real for us. And yet when it comes to interacting with other people, it's like they don't see what we see. And the word of God explains that. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, the Bible says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are hello spiritually discerned. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you come alive spiritually. God's Holy Spirit comes into you and that part of you that was once dead is suddenly alive. That's why six months ago, some of you could not imagine being in a worship service like this today. You could not imagine feeling like you feel because six months ago you were dead, but somewhere in the last few months or the last few years or at some point in your life, you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and things that weren't real are now real and things that weren't important are now important and things that weren't true are now true. You were dead. I mean, you know, this is the problem with religion. Can I get a witness on this? You know what the problem with religion is? It tries to make better corpses. You know, if you went down to the funeral home and there was someone there in a casket, you could Tell him, you need to do this, you need to do that. You, that person can't do that. And some of you, you've been so kicked around by religion because religion is saying, do this and do it. And you were trying to do what you couldn't do because you didn't have the capacity to do it. Well, like I said, we'll talk about next week how to string some wins together. But let's just stop here. I have a part in me that is as holy and pure as God himself because it is God. God's Holy Spirit is inside of me. Now, this is something that's a little heavy and I won't go into it, but the word of God says that God has given us the down payment of the Holy Spirit inside of us to prove that he's gonna bring us to full glorification someday. I have a part in me that's as dark as hell itself. And as I said, dot number three is don't be surprised at the at the inflammation of that conflict. You, you think about the conflicts in our world today. Freedom versus tyranny, conservatism versus progressivism, Democrats versus Republican, you know, really heavy conflict, radical Islam versus Israel. I mean, there are all kinds of conflicts in our world today. Do you realize that you and I have something bigger than those conflicts inside of us? In the book of Galatians chapter five, verse 16, the Bible says this evil nature 
constantly has a strong desire to suppress the spirit. And the spirit constantly has a strong desire to suppress the evil nature. All these are entrenched in an attitude of, look at this, mutual opposition to one another. That's what we have going on inside of us. And that's why we feel like two different people sometimes. Somebody's like, Mark, I wish I hadn't come to church today. (laughs) This is not very encouraging. We'll come back next week. But doesn't this explain some things? I mean, I'm talking to some of you. Well, let me, I'll say that in just a minute. Do you know that's why we have to die? Or if the rapture happens and we don't die, we still have to undergo a change. See, we think a lot of times that with death that God is out to kill us, but he's not out to kill us. It's just, it's, just, it's just the dropping off of that old nature. Think about this for just a moment. If you, if you want to think about why things are the way they are in our life, just think about this little parable for a second. Suppose you own your house, but you're going to be away for a year and you leave somebody to house set with power of attorney to make decisions about your house. And while you're gone, they lease out one of your bedrooms to a crazy person. And when you get home, you find out there's a year lease and this person's going to be in your house and you can't evict this person because there's a legal lease and he plays loud music at three o'clock in the morning and his dog just jumps up on everybody and scratches up your house and everything. And you got to live with this person. And, but you know what you're saying? You're like, someday that lease is going to be up and you're going to be out of here. Oh, friends, what happens when we die is that the lease of the dark side is up. And just in case Jesus comes... Before we die, I want you to know that when the trumpet sounds, that trumpet will signal the end of the lease of all of our dark sides. I've been preaching conferences since I was 16 years old. I don't know how anybody would ever have a 16-year-old kid do a conference, but he just did. But I'm accustomed to, no matter when I speak, there's like a line of people when I get through that want to ask me questions, and most of those questions are over my head. But I'll tell you, if I were to think about the top three questions I've been asked since 1972 or three, when I started preaching, one of the ones would be, do you think we'll know our loved ones in heaven? Well, yeah, I do. I had a lot of reasons for that from the Bible. For one thing, I think we'll be at least as smart in heaven as we are here, and we know them now. (laughs) But there is one person, I've thought about this a lot, there is one person I'm going to have trouble recognizing. You know who that is? I've never seen me with that anxiety. I've never seen me without unreasonable anger from time to time. I've never seen me without just a little trace of laziness. I mean, when I look at my life, there's just my dark side is really screwed up. And I think, well, you know what? When I get to heaven, I'm going to get to see me without any of these problems. And it's like, by the way, I know that's true because 1 John 3, 2 says, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, but we shall see him as he is. When Jesus comes, I'm going to be like Jesus. I just don't know if I'll recognize me. That's the only problem. In closing, let's end this today, which really we're just at the middle of the sermon. Come back next week. I'll give you part two. I'm going to talk to two different people here today. You are a Christ follower. You, are, you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
but you've been through a bad season or you may be in a bad season right now and you're doing stuff and crazy dirty stuff is in your life right now and the devil is coming to you because he's the accuser and he's saying you can't be you can't be a daughter of God you know what you don't say it to anybody else you just wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and the devil says to you you can't be God's daughter you go down to that new spring church and you sing those songs and he starts telling you about by the way when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. And he comes to you, sir, and he says, you cannot be God's child because you have said that you would not do this time and time and time again, and you did it again. And you're not God's. Well, you know what? Like I said, I don't have any answers for you today. We'll have those next week, but you know at least what's going on right now. You know, you got two parts. Now I want to talk to somebody else. You've not completely decided about Jesus Christ being in your life. You're maybe exploring and you're thinking it through, but you haven't really made the decision yet. Could Could I lovingly tell you that you got a problem and your problem is you're underpowered. You're probably a very good person as far as the way the world looks at things. You're very decent, you're kind, Good to your next door neighbor. You see somebody whose car breaks down and stop and help. You're a really nice person. The problem is, without Jesus Christ in your life, you're you're functioning with two parts. There's a part of you that you were created to have that got lost before you were born. And God wants to communicate with you, but you're missing that part. This is a hokey, hokey story. Would it be okay if I tell you something? And here's the thing. If you're under 40, you will not have any idea what I'm talking about. Just take this as a history lesson. I look out in this audience, I think a whole lot of you are not around in the 70s. God bless you. You did not want to be. The 70s was nuts. I mean, anything stupid, we did. I mean, just does polyester ring a bell? Or disco. I mean, just, there's just, it was like the brain dead decade. Well, in the last part of the 70s, Americans got into something called CB radio. For all of you under 40, it's a prehistoric cell phone. For years, truckers had used these, you know, because they're out on the highway and they're talking to each other, trying to stay awake and warning each other where the highway patrol are. They had all kinds of codes that they talked in. Well, I understand why truckers would do it, but in the last part of the 70s, otherwise sane Americans decided they had to have CB radios in the car and you knew who was hip and you knew who was not hip because everybody who had a CB radio, there was like this radio that went under your dash and you always had this antenna on your (laughs) roof or your rear deck. And, And if you didn't have an antenna out of your car, you were so 1960s. Well, I graduated from college in 1978. In 1977, Mary Alice and I got married. And I, I had just bought a brand new Oldsmobile Cutlass. My uncle owned an Oldsmobile dealership, and he gave me what he called the Hoover deal, and it's too good to pass up. And so consequently, I had this beautiful brand new 1977 Cutlass Salon. It had a lot of equipment on it, but when I drove away from the dealership, I realized there was one thing it lacked, one thing thou lackest. 
a CB radio. Now I'm going to give away my age now. I went down to Radio Shack. For all of you under 40, there was a store once that sold electronics. And I bought the CB radio. And it, like I said, there's, this goes under your dash. The only problem was the only place to put a CB radio in a 1977 Cutlass is on the left side below the dash. And every time I got in the car, I banged my knee on the thing. And I never did talk on it. But I had the deck, you know, had the antenna on my rear deck. I got tired of banging my knee on that thing. And I just decided I'm going to slide it out and put it in the trunk. But I left the antenna on. Graduated from college in May and got called to a church in Houston. And Mary Alice and I are driving down I-45 for the first time I would speak at that church in Houston. So on I-45 driving down from Dallas and driving down the road and all of a sudden 18-wheeler pulls right up, just right by the passenger window and just hangs there. Ain't, you know, I'm from Texas. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking about good old boy Texan. I mean, had you know straw hat on, T-shirt. Uh, you know, had this... Sleeve rolled up with the cigarettes there, you know. <laughs> just, just good old Texas boy. And he just hung there right by the passenger window. And I thought it was kind of strange. And after a few minutes, I looked out. And he turned and smiled, looked at me, and he waved. Smile. Well, I waved back at him. I'm a Texan. And he just hung there. And after a few minutes, he reached down, picked up his microphone, and put it up. And then he pointed to it. I don't know how he kept his hand. I don't know how he kept steering the thing. He pointed to his microphone. He wanted to talk to me. I had a rear antenna. But I'd taken the CD, CB radio out. It's in the trunk. And he just wanted to talk to me. He kept pointing to it. And I smiled back at him. And then he did it again. I think he thought I was just slow. <laughs> and after a while, he just shrugged and drove off. You know, here's the thing. There's some of us that were, were decent people. We're nice people. And, and, and that's like the antenna on our car. I mean, everyone knows we're a nice person. But the problem is there's part of us that God wants to talk to us. God wants to be in our lives. He wants to, he wants to communicate with us. But the problem is we just don't have that apparatus for communication. You know, we talk about accepting Christ and being forgiven of sin and having a home in heaven and all that is true, but it's so important that we understand that once we accept Jesus Christ in our life, yeah, we're still going to have a battle. We'll talk about that next week. But the good thing is we're not underpowered anymore and we get to live life with Christ. And as I close out this message, let me just say this to you. You may have come very close to that moment. You may have been here at New Spring for 10 years and just now it's like the lights are coming on. Well, invite him in. Invite him in. Come alive. I mean, live what you were destined for, and it's a gift. All you have to do, it's not joining a church, it's inviting a person. It's inviting Jesus Christ into your life. I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you're interested in praying it with me, I'll pray it slowly. You can say these things to God. He'll hear your prayer. You ready? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. Please come into my life. Make me alive. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. I trust Jesus as my savior. And by your grace, I'll live for you. 
in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you anywhere, wherever you are. If you're in South Auditorium here in North, in this gift box is a New Spring Bible. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God that'll answer a lot of questions and some other cool things. All you have to do is go back to any info center and just say, I prayed with Mark. They won't hassle you or stalk you, ask for your routing number. They just want to give you this. And we just want to take your first steps. If you're watching online, watching on television, all you have to do is text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97000, and we'll mail this out to you. Thanks for being here. Part two next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.